Why do the pizza toppings like to hang out with the mushroom? Why? Because the mushroom's a fun guy. Ah, uh, I should have seen that coming. Okay, <laughs> a kid at my door at Halloween a couple of years ago, because I do, I'm one of those people who ask the kids to sing a song or say, tell me a joke. Oh, you make them work for it? And so he did, He, he told, I thought that was hilarious and so simple for me to remember, although I've had trouble remembering <laughs> in the past. Same kid came back the next year. He says, I'm the guy who told you the mushroom joke. Did you give him he extra was, candy? Yeah! Hello, this is the Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert. Uh, great guest today, very exciting, Sean Hunter. Sean is a writer and researcher of local literary history, uh, which is actually super cool because we don't think about Calgary as a literary town or as a place that appears in written works, uh, like as though it's somehow unworthy of that treatment. Um, but Sean's new book, Calgary Through the Eyes of Writers, is a collection of excerpts from hundreds of works that feature Calgary. Uh, some of them are by local writers who you might know. Some of them are by people who have visited Calgary. Uh, some are surprising, like Rudyard Kipling. Um, but as a whole, they offer a really fascinating lens through which to view a fascinating and complex and dynamic city that has changed so much over the past century. Uh, I really love Sean's book. I think it's just a treasure trove for understanding the city. Uh, the amount of work she put into it is staggering. Uh, and we had a really good conversation about it. Just before we get there, uh, just a quick reminder that your support for the show helps keep it going. If you are enjoying these episodes, maybe consider kicking me a buck or two a month on Patreon. Three bucks a month is basically like buying me a cup of coffee once a month. And if this show is worth a cup of coffee to you, you can visit patreon.com slash thecalgarian. Thank you for your support. And now, here is my conversation with Sean Hunter. Okay, I have, I have, I have questions, but like, I don't know what you've got prepared. You no, seem no. more prepared for this than I am. No, no, like, I uh, just have a middle-aged memory, so I like to go in with cards, but I may, I may not even look at them. But it's not even cards. You've got like, you've got like pictures well, and, and charts and graphs, and, and it's a very... It's okay, just... Relax. It's a non-visual medium. I'm, I, know, I know. I'm intimidated on no, my no, own no, no, no. podcast. But I, I was, I did bring my own book in, because you know. You did, on. and you know what? And I that's okay, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Because no, if you actually... ask me some questions, I, it, I may not even open the book, but I'll just look at it and go, right. Just, just looking at the object helps you. Yeah, uh, it's remember. A, yeah, because there's a lot in the book. There's, and, there's a lot in the book. And I. Sometimes I think it's all in my head, but other times I realize it is not. So I may have to pick it up for a quick reference. That's fair. I'll, you, you can certainly do that. I don't want to start with the book, though. Good. I, I want to start with writing the city, which is how I first heard about you. Um, you are a local literary historian? Is that what you would call yourself? No. What would you call yourself? That's a label that's been affixed to me by others. I would affix it to you. I mean, it seems like a, a, a big part of what you do. Just a reader, Taylor. Right. But and a writer. Y yeah, of course. But you're researching these things and 
putting them out there in this blog for people like this is something that you are producing that's it's an ongoing work for you it, it seems like you are doing the work of a historian well I kind of um, came at it from the specific I think I didn't go into it thinking I was writing literary history I was just reading and reporting back on my findings Okay, so first maybe tell people what Writing the City is. How would you describe the So blog? Writing the City uh, came, let's back up even before Writing the City, where it came from. I, I set out on a reading project. I, was at, I had finished a big manuscript. Um, I had been trying to get it placed with a publisher. It had sort of come to its natural end, and I was between things. So I thought, well, you know what? Why wouldn't I just do this thing I've been sort of telling myself I would do for years? why wouldn't I go looking for Calgary in my bookshelves and just see? I thought I'd be done in a few months. <laughs> and six months in, I realized, oh my gosh, there's stuff here. There's enough for me to do something with. I thought at first I was going to do a map, a digital map. Um, then I realized I had way too much for that, and I didn't really even know how to do that. So I thought, well, I'm going to start a blog, and I'm going to call it Writing the City. And I modeled the blog posts after that feature in the Globe and Mail on the second page called Moment in Time or something like that, okay. where they have the f a photograph and then a paragraph by one of their writers about uh, the photograph, what, what it meant and stuff. So I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to get a passage from a, a Calgary passage that I've read that sort of resonated with me and find a photograph. I like the old stuff. Um, and then do a little lead-in to the excerpt because I need I wanted to situate it in the city's history or in the book or however. Right, contextualize it for people. Yes, yeah. and then I wanted to have lots of links so people could find the book themselves or find interesting things. So I, that's how it started, and I started Stampede Week 2015, um, and I thought, well, I'm going to blog every single day of Stampede because that's what we do here, right? We do it for 10 days. We don't okay. just do it once. We do it for 10 days. So I had enough for that. And then I had my post queued up so I could go weekly and keep going. Well, it just kept going. And by about six months into that blog series, I thought, I have enough here for a book. And a few months later, I pitched the book successfully. And then I went into a different phase of the project. But writing the city was very, very much, it was serendipitous. It wasn't following, okay, here's the earliest piece, here's the next. Right. No, it was all over the place. It was just where my curiosity was taking me. Uh, people would tell me stuff. I'd follow that lead. I'd uncover other stuff. I'd find something that interested me. Bop, 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 bop. So what did you want to accomplish with this when you first set out, like when your, your reading project, you wanted to do a digital map of it? What, what, what did you want to show people? with this history? I, I have to back up even further, okay. and I think I told a little bit of that story at my launch, uh, the story behind the story, which is growing up as a reader and, an, and a person with literary aspirations in Calgary in the 60s and 70s, I never saw my city on the page. I went away to university, I studied Canadian literature uh, in the East, and it was a joke standing joke among my classmates and professors the Calgary novel oh my god isn't that ridiculous <laughs> and you know what I didn't have anything to say otherwise so I thought it was true and I thought 
you know, that's really disappointing, uh, but I, you know, whatever. There was an absence. Um, when you don't, if you're a reading kind of person, a, you have that literary interest, and you don't see your place in literature, the city where you live, in literature, it means, it's, I don't know, it's like, what's, this is a lesser kind of place or something? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was always that ab, that hole. I, I did, I had over the years read little snippets. I'd seen Calgary in certain places, but I, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. And yeah. I wasn't really ready to ask, to, to figure out what I wanted to do there. So it's those little things. I mean, I had Alistair MacLeod's No Great Mischief on my shelf. I had read it when it first came out in 1999. He talks about Calgary a little bit. Um, it kind of, uh, rattled me how he was talking the new and hopeful Calgary and there's a scene in the modernistic house on the hill and he keeps using the word modernistic modernistic uh, when I first read that novel I thought I took offense to that like oh he's just you know saying of Calgary there's nothing you know there's no roots here it's just all money and what money can buy and the house on the hill and modern you know stuff when I looked again at it in, when I was doing this reading project, I realized that he had captured the light of this place. Uh, he talks about the sparkle and the, the, there is a very particular quality of light in Calgary. And there's Alistair MacLeod, known for his Nova Scotia placemaking, mm. seeing my city in, in a way that felt really true to me. So that was very exciting. Um, did, did it change your, like you, you saw something else in his writing about Calgary that seemed valid, but the previous, what struck you previously as invalid that he was just, you know, shitting on Calgary as a place. Like everybody money. does. Right, right, right. And yeah. there's fair criticisms around that. But like, did that, did recognizing that some of the things he was saying had validity make you uh, maybe appreciate the other things he was saying about Calgary that previously felt untrue to you? What I, what I saw was the bigger context. He's a really good writer, so he's not interested in simplicity. He's, uh, he's seeing more deeply. The character who lives in Calgary is the narrator's twin sister. And she's the keeper. She's, she's married a petroleum engineer. She's part of that, uh, the maritime community in the West, in Alberta, who've come to work in the oil patch. She's the family historian. She's the keeper of the family stories from Cape Breton. And the, and the narrator is an orthodontist in Windsor, Ontario. And he comes to see his sister in her beautiful house with the toilets that don't make any noise when they flush, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So that's there. But they're sitting there drinking scotch whiskey. And she, the sister who moved to Calgary and is living this lovely life, She's the keeper of the family stories. Um, that's more complicated. Mm. That's much more complicated. And then he also, I mean, Alistair McLeod's talking about progress. And there's, there's two, there's, progress is complicated. It's not just simple. And if Calgary is sort of a symbol of progress or a manifestation of progress, it's not all negative. There's there's the negatives and the positives of progress. So I, I was attentive to that theme in his novel. 
the second time around. <laughs> and I kind of relaxed into it a little bit. And, and McLeod is a real stylist. I mean, his prose is beautiful. And his repetition of the word modernistic. There are many words that he repeats, kind of like a, kind of an interesting mantra in the novel. And modernistic is one of them. You grew up in Calgary. What, what, where, whereabouts did you grow up? And what was your, I guess, view of the city, relationship with the city growing up? Did you like growing up in Calgary? I grew up in the southwest suburbs in the 60s. So um, that was a very interesting time in the sense that there is a Calgary poet, Robert Stamp, who's written a book called Suburban Modern about that period of the post-war modernism in Calgary. Um, I grew up, my parents were uh, living the dream. Uh, they, were, they had both come to Calgary together from other places. Um, Calgary was the frontier for them in 1961, and I was 10 days old when we moved from Vancouver. Uh, I had a great childhood mm-hmm. out, um, you know, in a street carved out of a farmer's field. We, the, down the street was the farmhouse that had been built in the homesteading era. I mean, I didn't know anything about homesteading era then. Mm-hmm. It was just a cool place. It had the tallest trees around it. And our suburb just sort of grew up around that. Um, I grew up in a house filled with books. My parents were readers. Um, I was two blocks away from the public library. Uh, I had a very rich um, fantasy life in the suburbs because, my God, there's a Cotodiaster hedge that's barely taking root, and it becomes this garrison in a castle. I mean, you know, like we were kids <laughs> in the suburbs, right? That was the longest walk to school in my, in my memory. I went, and I went back there a few years ago and did the same walk from our house to the school, yeah. and it was like a seven-minute walk. Right. If you know, I thought it now was like it's a, a seven-minute walk. Yeah, now it's a seven-minute walk. Forty-five minutes. I thought at least forty-five minutes, right? <laughs> and there was a hill. Both ways. Right. Just yeah. one way. Yeah. Um, but that was a that was a great landscape for a child with an imagination. What kind of stuff were you attracted to as a reader when you were when you were growing up? I loved dog stories. I was a dog. My mother, when she was a kid, she was a horse person. She loved all that, my friend Flicka stuff. I didn't really like horse <laughs> stories, but I loved dog stories. Uh, Anne of Green Gables. I wasn't a real fantasy person. Like the m- best, the the, mo- the fantasy that I could tolerate was something like Charlotte's Web, which is kind of I don't even know how to explain that. But um, I, I accepted E. B. White's Talking Animals, but I wouldn't. Ex- I didn't. I really did not like Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm. For instance, I just I didn't get it. So I was more into realistic stuff. Um, realistic stuff like Charlotte's Web, Talking Spiders. I was just going to say, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to do a little more thinking about Charlotte's Web, but those are like really, those animals were people. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah no, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you ever interested in history? Or I guess at what point did you get interested in, in history? Just in the last couple of years. Yeah? Yeah. That's not something that you had previously? No, and I will admit, I, I feel uh, embarrassed to say this, but I really, I did not know the city's history, and I didn't really care about it until I got into this project. I don't think you have to be embarrassed about that. I think that's probably typical of most 
people in most places. But we then all should be embarrassed by that. We should be. Agreed. (laughs) But yeah. No more so than anyone else, though. Yeah. And my entry into it. So when you say backing up to your original question about literary, do I see myself as a literary historian? That word historian has a lot of weight to it. And they probably, like, I think of a historian, they have methodology and they know how to keep good notes and they're good at organizing information. I have had to learn all of that on the fly. So I really, I would not call myself that. Accidental, maybe. Sure, or an amateur historian, if you like. Like, you you don't have the credentials to be a professional historian, but you're still engage in the act of researching and preserving and presenting history like as 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 a public service really um there's nobody else not that i'm aware of certainly yeah i don't think there's anybody else in the city doing what you do what you have done with this project first with writing the city and then with the book how do you what what kind of response did you get from people uh initially to the uh to the website i got really good response it was really fun i mean you never really know who's reading it uh the people my friends in the writing community and my mother and <laughs> other people like that would would have you know tell me that they were really enjoying it um and get, i'd get some comments from complete strangers uh who would send me a message uh through the website and and say it either stirred a memory or they remember meeting that person or reading that piece or, you know, whatever, or, or something about the city. Um, so that was really gratifying. I, I knew sometimes you just know when you have a good idea. Yeah. Um, where, where did you start when you were first starting this, when you were first doing research? You're looking for, for Calgary. You're looking for your city in the written word, in written texts. Um, were you looking specifically for Calgary writers or were you looking just anywhere you could find? I was not looking specifically at Calgary writers, no. I was just, it was wide open. The city was my focus, um, not the city's literary community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you go about finding the city? And- well, the very first um, place I looked, I. A year before I started my own project, I, I was involved in a Creative Nonfiction Collective, and we were having a conference in Calgary. And uh, part of that was a literary walk on the Sunday afternoon of Stephen Avenue. So I thought that was interesting, and I said, I'm going to go down to the local history collection at the library and start seeing what I could find. I didn't think there'd be very much. And and where I started with was, was with Harry Sanders' Historic Walks of Downtown Calgary. And I just read that, the Stephen Avenue section, and I was looking for literary stuff. And uh, there is some literary stuff there. I had also sort of become interested in, um, I'd read a biography of P.K. Page, um, an acclaimed Canadian poet who has Calgary uh, roots. Uh, She had died a few years ago. Um, And a biography of her life came out. And there were all these Calgary coordinates, place names, uh, the house in uh, Elba Park, where she spent a a couple of years of her adolescence, still standing. Uh, I became really interested in that. And in the biography uh, is mentioned a childhood friend of P.K. Page, who is Maxwell Bates, the expressionist artist who designed St. Mary's Cathedral, who, who was born in Calgary in 1906, 
spent his formative years here, went to the war, was a POW, came back here and worked as an architect, and he wrote poetry. Mm. too and he was a fr- family friend of the pages so I sort of like oh that's interesting so I put Maxwell Bates and PK Page on that first walking tour because Maxwell Bates's father designed a grain exchange building hmm. so that was very I thought that was fabulous seren- serendipitous <laughs> stuff you know um, so it sort of started there and then I I would just re you know, I just follow a trail uh, like oh let's go that way oh let's go because I wasn't then writing a book mm-hmm. you know I didn't have the pressure of anything except my own curiosity so it was all over the place um, and I did I started with so Harry Sanders walks George Melnick wrote the literary history of Alberta um, two volumes came out at the end in 1999 I read it cover to cover and I he had a lot of stuff from early Calgary just it's encyclopedia style, right? So um, there's little bits and pieces, uh, and some things were wrong, as I tur- it turned out. But I read all that, and that provided me a map to um, the Calgary Public Library's online catalog. Type in Calgary novels, and you just get stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of it is germane, but some of it was. Uh, one thing led to another. Did you find anything surprising in your research? Any, or, or did you find Calgary in any surprising places? I had no idea that there was um, early Calgary literature. Okay, I, of course, knew about Bob Edwards. Mm-hmm. But um, in this, I did find in George Melnick's Literary History of Alberta was the, early, the tourist literature from the early days of the railway. And you can find it up here in Calgary's story in the local history collection. These old little old books that these Vic- Victorian travelers, they would take the train across the country. It was very a la mode to do that in the 18, 1886 is when that service opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also very fashionable was to write about it. So there's a nice fistful of these little memoirs and they all come through Calgary and they're these different perspectives of the city. You know, the one guy, I love quoting J. Ewing Ritchie about the wild dogs and it's in the book, but he's just astonished by the wildness of Calgary. Well, like stray dogs? Yeah, the, the, the streets were filled with wild dogs and he was a proper English gentleman. Right. And... He, w- he set out on this trip across Canada to show his fellow Englishmen that Canada wasn't filled with heathens <laughs> and barbarians. And he was doing so. But when he got to Calgary, he changed his mind, <laughs> right? And there are these guys walking around, cow hyphen boys, he calls them in his book. Um, and he finds himself going a little wild. He's, lo- he's losing his manners. He's sleeping in a hotel that has, is a tent, right? <laughs> and uh, he's really just horrified by what he sees. I must not tarry in Calgary too long, <laughs> you know? Like, that's just gorgeous that's stuff, fantastic. right? So these things, that, these writings by these travelers that were passing through, were they usually published works? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and the famous one, it was now later, 1913, uh, was Rupert Brooke, um, a British poet. He was 25 years old. 
um, he was he became very famous after he died when he was 27 um, one of those famous British World War one poets um, but he came to Calgary he was um, sort of between things and he did this trip and he would report back to um, a newspaper in Britain with his with his you know, his reportage. Mm -hmm. And he, he comes to Calgary and he gets to see, gets a tour of the new library. And he's very impressed with the new library, what we call the Memorial Park Library, mm -hmm. um, and, and praises it to the hilt. He also talks about boosters and the Calgary-Edmonton rivalry he talks about. <laughs> like all this stuff, which just feels really fresh still yeah. to read. So he was quite famous, uh, but there were many others before who were, who were writing posts back to be published in newspapers or in little books because they were, many of them were trying to encourage uh, immigration. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and certainly in the 1880s. I know that uh, Rudyard Kipling is in the book as well. Yes. Can you talk about that? Yes, and that was a late find for me. I didn't, I don't even know how I found out about that, um, but I added it in after I submitted the manuscript, so uh, that was very cool. Uh, 1907, he had been to Calgary a few times. I knew he had written about Medicine Hat. Yeah. Right, because Medicine Hat, they were going to vote to change their name to something more, I don't know, cosmopolitan or something, and he was very adamant about them not doing that so he weighed in on it um he famously used to call it all hell for a basement right that's the line yes yeah. yes um he had been to calgary several times in 1907 when he got off the train and they did him a little a tour in the car touring car uh, he was only here for a couple of hours he's traveling with his wife and, a pr and they had a private rail car um he was a rock star in 1907 yeah that was the year he got the Nobel Prize. Oh, really? Yes. So he got a lot of press uh, in the Herald on that little two-hour trip. And that's the great quote, Calgary is the wonder city of Canada. <laughs> it shows up in a book he wrote, Letters uh, letters to the Family, I think. Letters from, I don't know. Um, it's very brief. He doesn't go into a lot of detail, but he talks about the color of the Bow River and how it's not like the... Pr rivers going through other prairie towns he's been in, right? Because it's not a prairie river. Mm -hmm. right? I, I just love that passage, the blue of that river through Rudyard Kipling's eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, very, he's a, he was a very famous visitor. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle came to Calgary. And oh. He didn't write about Calgary. Uh, he came in 1923 to speak about, he had a very, in, his interest in spiritualism and, you know, all that, woo-woo stuff <laughs> and he packed the Alazar Temple which was then on 17th Avenue and 4th Street and the Herald covered that um, I mean he was also very well known at the time and I brought a little thing I just discovered yesterday Taylor oh yes I'm gonna break it on the podcast wow exclusive Agatha Christie was here really yes in 1922, she uh, was also on a world tour uh, along with her husband. It was a, tr a British trade tour uh, in advance of a British um, exhibi exhibition. And they were doing, trying to get the colonies interested in, in buying a booth or whatever the equivalent was. Um, and so they came to Canada at the very end of their world trip. They'd been to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, and then they were taking the train across 
Canada. And so uh, um, Agatha Christie, she had had three novels published by then, um, had dinner at the Palliser Hotel one night. They were only here for two days. They went down to the E.P. Ranch, which was the Prince of Wales's right. ranch down by Bar U. Um, went to Banff, cured her neuritis after a few days in the hot pool. Interesting. Um, anyway, years later, like 30 years later, she writes this book. Um, and one of the main characters is Dr. Calgary, a geophysicist. A geophysicist. Like I was being quizzed by my family on this yesterday. Well, how do you know it wasn't, he wasn't named after the place in Scotland? Well, and then I think, well, he was a geophysicist. That's uh, a, a good clue. <laughs> so quote. it's apocryphal, but um, cool. And this has just been made into the BBC. Made, it's been a movie. Donald Sutherland played that character, I believe, in the movie many years ago. Like, that's kind of cool. That is very cool. Anyway, so I picked up her biography this afternoon, and mm. I'm going to see if I can do a little more sussing. I may never be able to answer the question, <laughs> but that's a cool little piece of trivia. That is very cool. Thank you for uh, giving us the world exclusive <laughs> okay. here on, on okay. the Calgarian. No problem. <laughs> uh, so you were doing this blog for like six months, and then you pitched the book. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I was doing the blog probably for nine months before I pitched the book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide to pitch the book? Was it the response that you were getting to the blog? Or was it just like the amount of material that you were digging up? Or was it just like, I'm having fun doing this. I want to make it a job. <laughs> yeah. The thing with blogs is, is anyone really reading blogs anymore? Right? I, I don't know. Right. The blog sort of had its um, golden age a few years ago when everybody was reading them. And now maybe podcasts have nudged them out or Twitter or, you know, other stuff. Um, you could do you could do a, a local literary history podcast. Yeah. I would listen to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Next year. <laughs> um, like, there's something about a book. If I find a book on the shelf in the library, it's, it's substantive. It means something to me. Uh, I'm a writer, I'm a reader, I wanted to build a book, you know? I wanted to make that contribution. Also, I knew this book did not exist. That's yeah, true. Right? You said that this book didn't exist, but you obviously wanted it to exist. Right. You saw value in it. So I yes. guess my question is, what, what, what do we learn from, from something like this, from, from this exercise of, of tracking down things that have been written about our city, different perspectives from people? local writers as well as writers from afar uh, who come here and, and write about the city. Um, does that tell us something about Calgary? When someone mentions the word Calgary, this is a literary landscape is not one of the first phrases out of in their head. Right. Right. We don't, uh, we don't see this place as a literary landscape. We don't believe it is. Um, and as I was saying before, it's as if we don't think the city merits literature. Right. Well, that's interesting. Um, it's not true, clearly. Uh, there's, there is literature about the city. We exist on the page. Why do we think this, that Calgary is not a literary landscape? <sighs> you know, we, we, we have a manic economy here. We don't always have the presence of mind to be thinking about the bigger picture. We're myopic mm. as a city. Um, you can see that theme in this book, uh, particularly in the 
later tourist literature, stuff I call drive-by shootings from Toronto writers who blow into town, <laughs> right, and take pot shots. Yeah. And one of the things they're talking about is our myopia. We're concerned about uh, personal wealth, uh, personal progress, uh, getting as much as we can, and then moving on. To build a culture, you have to stay. Mm-hmm. We're now a city of 1.3 million people. More of us are staying. My pitch to the publisher was, this is a very um, particular moment in Calgary's history. Uh, we're asking ourselves questions about what is this place? Isn't this an interesting time to turn to the city's literature? The history of the city, yes. The city as seen through the eyes of writers. All of these facets of this complicated city. Right, and how those perspectives have evolved over the city's history and how they've changed. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you made the choices of what got included in the book? The book book is, it's an anthology of excerpts from different um, writings about Calgary, Calgary writers and and non-Calgary writers. Um, and it's organ- talk about how it's organized as you well, bet. but h- how did you make those decisions? Because I, I think during your book launch, you made reference to a spreadsheet that you have, and you said, some, I, I don't remember the numbers, but like you have way more material than is what is in this book. So how, d- how did you decide what went in and what didn't go in? Well, I'm going to just give you the basic facts of my book. Okay. 160 excerpts included in the book, Calgary Through the Eyes of Writers, by 146 different authors. I've also included a list of works in the book, which um, includes works that I mention but don't excerpt. And I can't remember how many are in there, but I think it's into the low 200s. So I wanted to give that sense of abundance. Mm -hmm. Um, My spreadsheet or catalog if you will, (laughs) is I think it's up to 700 entries. Good Lord. Uh, I know. Now, some of it's not super substantial. It's just like any reference to Calgary or... But it had to have something. Yeah. Not just the word. It had to have something. But some things are difficult to excerpt as well. They just uh, don't work. Uh, When I... I, uh, And I could have gone on and on and on and on, but I had a deadline publisher had given me a deadline. Right. So that means you have to stop. And I did squeeze a few more in after the deadline. Roger Kipling just made the Roger cut. Roger Kipling squeezed in there. I could have gone on and on and on. But I wasn't writing an encyclopedia. Yeah. Right. I, had, I did struggle with that, what I was going to have to leave out, um, that I couldn't include everything. Of course, I wanted to include everything. I just wanted, I wanted to do that. But I, I knew I didn't have the... I didn't have a research assistant. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been helpful. Uh, I wasn't, and I'm not an academic. I wasn't writing an academic book. My publisher is not an academic publisher. So, and I did not want this to look like a textbook. And as I put these together, so I decided um, the blog was all over the place, but the book, I thought, had to follow Calgary's history because it really is a kind of biography of place. So I wanted to start with the earliest things, like uh, written literature I could find, and that was the fur trade journals of David Thompson in 1787 and Peter Fiddler in 1792. 
David Thompson brings in the oral tradition of the indigenous people who have been in this area for millennia. Uh, and that was a lovely kind of bridge, I thought, because he camped with um, a Pekani elder not far from Springbank for a winter, and he transcribed those stories in his journals. Mm. I, and then I wanted to go through the eras of Calgary's history. Um, the book is divided into sections. One of my friends who edited the book um, said, you really should think about putting in a kind of a historical um, compass point for each section. Mm-hmm. So I did write those, and I think they work um, so that you get some frame for the excerpts that follow in terms of the things that were going on in the history of Calgary. What are some of those compass points? So um, the fur traders, the Northwest Manor Police, the railway arriving. Mm-hmm. So 1875, when Colonel McLeod sent that posse up to establish a fort, was huge. Uh, the railway arriving, huge. Mm-hmm. If those things, this was not a fur trade center. Right. It was just. It was nothing. Really. It was a place. Yeah, in terms of settlement. Uh, Edmonton was a much older place, Mm -hmm. Fort Edmonton. Um, So the railway is important. And then we get these, the Victorian imperialists, you know, the the Pauline Johnson comes to town, the poet performer from Brantford, Ontario. And she's a great Victorian, as was Rudyard Kipling. This was the Golden Gateway. So all of that, the settlement era and all this stuff. So that, uh, then we get into the first real estate boom uh, before World War One. That was craziness, um, right? And all these buildings we still see, like, yeah. you know, Stephen Avenue is um, the vestiges of that period. Um, the inter, that, uh, the 20s, 30s, 40s, up to Leduc in 47, right. those are kind of quiet decades um, for Calgary. Economically, yes. Um, there wasn't much going on here. It was just a city just trying to find its way. Right. So it didn't attract a lot of attention. Um, the Eastern media wasn't interested in Calgary in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Yeah, there was nothing, no reason to be. Right. Yeah. So, but there is some literature there. Um, and there's some beautiful pieces there. I, I made room for those pieces. And I had to trim from later on because there was a lot later on, but not much. If I found something from the 20s or the 30s, it's in here. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and then so the big periods in the Leduc, the, the oil boom, the 70s. And then I just went by decade because the 70s was a particular kind of decade, right? <laughs> it sure was. And then the 80s was particular and the 90s and then into the, the millennium. Mm-hmm. And then I, and I ended with the flood of 2013 because I had to end somewhere, but I didn't want it just to peter off. And I think you have written a book about the floods of 2013 it was a particular moment in Calgary's psychology. Um, I, you know, I think we kind of found our heart during that flood, hmm. um, and I wanted to end with that because I think the whole book I was trying to show that the city is more than its stereotypes. Right. It has all this complexity, all these layers, and the flood showed us something um, about that heart of Calgary. Yeah. So I ended there. There was a whole bunch of other stuff that you might, you just keep going. When'd you stop? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. I guess I should say full disclosure. My book is excerpted in your book. So it's full disclosure, full disclosure. Um, I'm curious about 
whether it was a challenge to pull in a diversity of voices, um, especially from the early years, uh, was there was there a danger of um, just having to be overwhelmingly white, just because of the makeup of the city and and the country and who was doing writing, who was being published during that period? Was that something you thought about? Was that something that you um, was that an obstacle that you had to overcome? It was certainly something I thought about. Um, but interestingly, the people you who don't make up the majority are oftentimes the people who are writing. So you will get someone like Cheryl Fogo, mm-hmm. who grew up in the 60s in Bowness uh, in a black community, and she writes a memoir about that childhood. Um, and she's doing that for a very particular reason, right? Her vo- this is her voice. Yeah. This is her story. Uh, you see that. You see it in terms of class as well. Uh, I think of Bruce Hunter's uh, coming-of-age novel, uh, writing about his growing up in Ogden in the 50s, working-class community. I was looking for that, but I didn't have too much trouble finding it. Um, Anita Rao Badami, a very well-known Canadian novelist, her first novel is partly set in Calgary, and it's about that tug-of-war between the narrator's mother back in India going, why are you in that cold North Pole place, <laughs> Calgary, you know? Um, yeah, the indigenous, um, I, there needed to be indigenous voices in this book. Uh, there are. Um, those are hard to find, I will admit. Uh, the ones that are there are very precious to me. Ruth Scalplock's uh, memoir, she writes about... Uh, uh, her 1950s experiences as a child at the Indian Village, as it was then called, mm-hmm. uh, on the Stampede Grounds. Um, lovely Richard Wagamese, uh sets the last scene in kind of a, a very intense hostage-taking scene at the Harry Hayes building. Yes, those had to be there. Uh, I wish there were more. Yeah. Uh, I think there will be more lots more because I think there's a flourishing now of indigenous writers in this city across the country. Yeah. What, uh, what comes next for this? Is this the culmination of this multi-year journey of this project or, or is, this, is there another step to come? Because you've got so much material and you know, it's, art will continue to be produced. People are gonna keep writing about Calgary. Um, is there going to be a sequel? Is there going to be a, a blog, a podcast? Is the, or is this something that like you've you've had a good run, you've 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 done a lot here, and you're just going to set this aside and, and move on to something else? I am not itching to write another book at this point. Um, part of the one of the challenges with this book was getting permission from authors to include their work. Some of them are dead, and they were easy to deal with, yeah. uh, especially the ones in the public domain. Uh, but that was um, a lot of work. And it's not that authors are difficult to deal with, but you, if there's so many of them, you do need to get permission. And that took about three months of my life to do that, and it was very complicated. So I am not rushing to do that again. Um, I'm going to continue to give walking tours. Yeah. You did a Jane's Walk. You've done a few Jane's Walks, I've done a few Jane's Walks. That's where I met you on my very first Jane's Walk in 2015. Is that that true? Yes, it's true. I remember. uh, You came on your bicycle. Okay, I remember that. (laughs) I remember that's the first time we met. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and my my, uh, 
plan is not to do the same one twice. Mm-hmm. So I did do that one twice. But um, last year, you you came along on that walk along the Bow River, reading the Bow River. Mm-hmm. That was great. And read from Rising, uh, talked about Rising. Um, this year, I think I'm going to do the Beltline. Yeah. And I'm just going to keep moving around because you have, it has to be interesting, right? Yeah. And, and so that's a challenge. So uh, I am working on a... a an interesting project. I can't talk too much about it. Ooh. Yeah, about Calgary's early literature, and it will be an exhibit style thing. I can tell you more about it. Not right now. Oh, this is this is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's cool. Um, I'm now back on my map idea, yeah. and I think when things settle down a little bit, um, it would be wonderful to have an interactive digital literary map. Yeah. And there are tools now. You that can have an app on your phone. You yes. can just walk around and uh, yes. what's the, uh, there's a term for that, like the Pokemon Go stuff, like the augmented reality. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Like you can yeah. just walk around and you're looking at a place and you can just hold up the app and it'll tell you information yes. about wherever you are or put something on it. Yeah, yes. that, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. And I have done some research there. There are some really beautiful projects in different cities. There's, San Francisco has a fabulous, uh, very rich website based on a map. Um, with excerpts, photographs of the author. It's very, that's a, but it's a big budget thing. But it doesn't have to be a big budget thing. But I'm going to try, I'm not ready to do it yet, but that's, I've I've got a new spreadsheet with map (laughs) coordinates on it. And I'm just sort of poking away at that. And uh, it wouldn't, it'd be fabulous if the public library would get interested in that project because they have an IT department, so. Hint, hint, public library. (laughs) Uh, The book is wonderful. it's it's really something special and unique. I'm so grateful that you've made it, that it exists. What role do you see the book playing for the city? Like this is this is a place uh, that has always attracted people from other places. We're we're a city of people from other from elsewhere, um, and we don't know our own history. Do you think that this book is a window into that in a, in a way that like? A, a drier, more boring academic history uh, wouldn't grab people? Is that is that one of your hopes for it? I love that question because you basically answered it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's a book aimed at a lay audience. It's a book, it's not for literary students of literature it's for readers it's for people who are interested in history the excerpts are kind of bite-sized mm-hmm. um the thing i didn't talk about but it is as if i'm leading the reader on a virtual literary walk because it's my voice tying these passages together i'm giving a little context i'm giving a little trivia every excerpt is followed by a brief paragraph of my voice and you may not want to read that part, uh, and you don't have to. You can just read the excerpts. You want, may want to read that little narrative bit before you read the excerpt. You may only want to read the narrative bit. I don't know. You can do whatever you want. People are reading the book from front to back. They're reading it all, hopscotching all over the place. One of my colleagues started with the index and the back matter. I am very appreciative for that because I spent a lot of time on the back matter. I hope someone's going to look at the footnotes which are online on my website. I also slaved over those. Um, lots of different entry points. There's a map. There's two maps in the book. There is a literary history timeline of Calgary, which is also another way to look at the material. Hmm. So I wanted to give people 
many different ways in, many different windows into the book and then into the subject matter. What is Calgary? Calgary is a complicated city. It is a particular city. There is no other city like it. We've called ourselves Dallas of the North, Denver of the whatever, but we're not Dallas and we're not Denver. This is Calgary. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's, I think we're cluing into that. What a special place this is. What a flawed place, of course. What a, as Aretha Van Herc wrote the foreword to the book, a beautiful foreword, just saying about Calgary as a, as a character, is fair, is elusive, doesn't want to be pinned to the page. And yet we try. And in, writers have left us this trail. Uh, these little windows into the character of this place. Um, writers are beholden to nobody. They're not advertisers. They're not civic boosters. Literary writers are there. They're, they're beholden to their imagination. They're attentive to detail. You may not like everything you read in this book. You may not agree with it, but it's part of the place. And I think everything is valid. There's lots of ways to know the city. This is not the only way, but it's one way that we are not, it's one way we didn't know we had. So that to me is really exciting. And I think people are, are um, getting it. A woman came up to me after a talk a couple of weeks ago. She said, listening to me talk, she's like your age. She said, tears in my eyes. The thing that I knew, I knew there was something missing. And you're telling me this about the city through the eyes of writers. And I, all of a sudden, I realized this was what I was looking for. I mean, that's really powerful. That's fantastic. Yeah. Or, or, the, or the longtime Calgarian who came up to me after the launch and said, you know, I'm a reluctant Calgarian, but this book just might change me. You know? <laughs> cool. I mean, I have felt that change myself. Yeah. You know, I've had a conflicted relationship with the city. I think many of us do. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm dug in now. This book, reading Calgary and building this book, I feel more connected to this place where I've lived almost my whole life than I've ever felt before. So it's profound for me. I think that's a good note to end on. So, Sean, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, Taylor. What I want to talk to you about, what I didn't... It was oh, yeah, right. Sorry, you had the... Well, no, I wanted to talk to you because you have this fabulous line in this book of yours. Oh, that book. This section. Yeah. What is the defining characteristic of Calgary? You, you write. I do write. And yeah. I would make the case for what I feel is the truest, if not most desirable answer, the suburbs. Yeah. Yes? So I thought, well, that's very interesting, and I think... It is an interesting argument. It's it's debatable, but it is debatable. And so I thought I'm going to go through my stuff. I'm going to see. There's a lot of suburbs in this. Not not completely, but there is suburban mm. stuff in here, and lots of different angles on it too. Uh, we could talk about that. You know, um, there's some really lyrical, beautiful lyrical stuff about the 1960s suburbs. Curtis oh, Gillespie's thing, uh, Nikki Reimer writing about Woodbine. Uh, oh, I haven't read that. Yeah, it's really good. I made a list. I made a list where did I put it. I wanted to. Yeah, those are my little suburbs. 
Personal geography, places of becoming, coming of age. So let me get Cheryl Fogo. That was a suburb, Bowness, right? Mitchie Campbell writing about Kingsland in the 50s and 60s. A tender period piece about her life. That, that may be an inner suburb now, but it certainly wasn't in the 60s. Curtis Gillespie writing about Dalhousie. The smell of the grass that they're burning off in the winter so they can dig holes for oh. new houses. Nikki Reimer, Ray Spoon, mm -hmm. right? Now that's not tender, but it's complicated. Um, Debbie Willis, mm -hmm. uh, her story, there's a story in the new book, uh, something paradise, about these girls who go around to houses, break into houses in the, in, uh, the suburbs, mm -hmm. and get up to mischief. <laughs> that's really fascinating. Then you get Suzette Mayer, her book, uh, Monoceros, talking about that that gay teen who was bullied in a Catholic school in right. Northwest Calgary. Yeah. That's a suburban story. Nicole Martin, Cecilia Fry talks about, uh, she lives in, uh, what's that neighborhood called? Uh, the end of the number three bus line. Raising her kids in the 60s and 70s. And um, Kathy Simmons-Niven writes about that little triangle of land at University Drive in Crowchild, yeah. and she it like it's like a ship that starts to float that island. <laughs> like Barb Scott, Tanya Huff is it's a, a, a like fantasy fiction, okay. and she talks about the haunting and the poltergeists and this. You know, did you pr did you prepare this? This is just for the podcast. Well, I just we didn't get I, to it. No, we didn't get to it. I'm sorry. And then there are then there's your point of view. In Noah Richler, yeah. Peter Oliva, you go through this riffing of street names. Yeah, right. Edgemont and the and Oliva's essay is talking about that too. There mm. are no Italians in Tuscany, mm -hmm. Calgary, right? Um, anyway, there's more. <laughs> oh, and then there's an essay, it's not in the book, uh, Aretha's essay about her neighborhood, Hawkwood, a defense of Hawkwood. I don't know. I grew up in Lockwood. I didn't Did know. you? Yeah. I'll send you. I'll send you. When did you do that? That's it for the show. Big thanks to Sean Hunter. That was a great conversation. Everyone can go pick up her book, Calgary Through the Eyes of Writers. It is at Shelf Life and Pages and Owl's Nest and wherever else you want to get your books. The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. If you like this show, please feed and water it by telling your friends about it, by leaving a review in your podcast app, or by supporting it on Patreon. You can find all the details at thecalgarian.ca. Thanks for listening.